Take a deep breath, take the higher road That's what they always say, as if they know the way They won't take it from me But don't ever doubt yourself, it's life ain't just a dream You make your own, so kick and scream The people will like with a never-ending force You never had the chance, so what you waiting for? The day has come, my friend, cause this is war Well, today, finally, I have a voice from the Navajo Nation, a courageous pastor from the Tuba City Assembly of God, Pastor Nathan, whom I met a few months ago when I was invited to come up to the reservation and speak. Um, A little bit of a background, and very briefly, I'm going to um, just let you guys know where I came from in this situation, because I really want to spend the majority of the time today to hear from him and his experiences. Um, So I was a nurse at Phoenix Indian Medical Center here in Phoenix, Arizona. It was a a hospital that took care of the Native Americans. Our biggest demographic was the Navajo Nation, as it's just to the north of us here. And um, and I saw that there was a lot of injuries happening due to the experimental injection. I saw a lot of mental health issues that were were happening with the people. And Pastor is is going to talk about that. And um, and I essentially recorded what was happening and released it virally to the world with my undercover hospital or undercover footage taken in the hospital. Right now, guys, just an update is I refuse to settle with the government and we are moving forward now with depositions. Uh, We are going to be deposing people like Anthony Fauci and get their answers uh, of why they did what they did. And so without further ado, um, thank you, Pastor, for being here with me. Thank you for being courageous. Thank you for having uh, a love for people and and most of all to our father who is um, with no doubt in my mind called you according to this purpose. So thank you for being here. Well, thank you. I don't know about the courageous part. I'm just saying what I know, what I experienced, but it needs to be heard for sure. It does. I'll say you are courageous because you had me up there and, um, and I'll tell you, it was, it was an experience coming up there. I've, I've been up there twice now. And a lot of times I'm not very well received. Uh, but essentially, you know, we, we are here to speak truth and, and not to sugarcoat things. And um, so, yeah, why don't you take us back to, you know, in the beginning, in, in 2020, when they they locked down the reservations, like, how did that all come to be? And also, too, when we're talking, I think it's a good idea to let people know what the reservation is like, how big is it, you know, where does it span from, um, like those types of things. All right. Um to get an idea of the size of the reservation, I don't have the exact 100,000 square miles, but the reservation is larger than six U.S. states land-wise. Um, 
And there are on the reservation approximately 250,000 now registered Navajos that are on the reservation. It takes on parts of the southern part of Utah, a large northeast corner of Arizona, and a south, a northwest corner of New Mexico. Mm-hmm. So it's in three states, Utah, Arizona, New Mexico. And to drive from the east side to the west side of the reservation, you've got about a four-hour drive. And north to south, you've got about a three-hour drive to go from one end of the reservation to the other. So it, it's a it's a massive amount of land. Mm-hmm. And um, people do not live in large cities. They're mostly in rural. They're mostly, uh, their, their housing is what we call uh, cluster housing, where a family will have a set of houses together. And then you may drive a half mile, mile down the road, and you'll see another cluster of houses, which is a different family. Not like what we see in the city, where it's one third acre per house. So right. uh, they definitely live further apart. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what what was your first communication, um, you know, with the lockdown? And, and how did that go? Very first communication, we started hearing about it in church, and there was a guy, at the time I was pastoring a church in New Mexico, uh, New Life Christian Assembly over in Pinedale, which is in the Eastern Agency. And the first Sunday we began to hear about it, there was a guy who worked at IHS in Gallup, and he said, Pastor, I don't know why all all the fear and everything is going on. He said, McKinley County has already been in a flu pandemic this year. We've had more flu cases than we've ever had. And that was, I'm like, well, okay, you know, this is probably just add on to that. Well, then about a week or so later, we get invited, all of the Assemblies of God churches, to a Zoom call from our um, general superintendent in Springfield with the attorney uh, requesting and asking that all the churches close their doors for two weeks. And, you know, this was back when Trump was saying uh, close two weeks to slow the spread. And honestly, I looked at it. And I'm like, well, you know, I could use a two week vacation. You know, why not? We'll just go ahead and close down for two weeks. So uh, we weren't having services or anything for those two weeks. And then two weeks lingered on a little bit further and they weren't lifting it. Well, once that started happening, uh, the Navajo Reservation Department of Health started putting out health orders and they started limiting movement on the reservation. They started closing down facilities. Now, the the aggravating thing to me about this whole thing is the first ones they shut down were the churches. The last ones they shut down were the casinos. Wow. (laughs) And I'm like, wait a minute, you know, how does this happen? But that was their logic. That's what they did. And so the lockdown's down. Now, remember, initially two weeks. Our church was closed down for 52 weeks, no services. And a lot of people say, well, just go to Facebook Live or do it on live, you know, Internet Live. Problem with that is we lived in a very rural part of New Mexico that had very poor satellite service. So literally the only way I could do sermons or services, I would draw up an email. I would put in that email. I would go to YouTube. I would find a link to a couple of worship songs. I put the link in the email. We had an online giving where they could put their tithes, offerings online. And then I would attach my sermon notes to a Word document, and I would send that out. 
Wow. Now, that was church for 52 weeks. That's uh, crazy. Yeah, absolute craziness. Absolutely. So about a couple of weeks into it, I was contacted by a group in uh, Gallup, Navajo Nation Christian Response Team, that said they had been asked by President Nez to head up a food distribution because he was pretty sure a lot of food was going to be coming into the reservation and they needed everything to be sanitized and wiped down before it got distributed out of the reservation. They didn't want COVID coming from the East Coast being delivered out to the reservation. Just some of the logic to this, as we look back, just makes us laugh almost. Well, well tell, tell me about that process. What, what was that process? Initially, this is where it gets really crazy. We would get a truck that would bring in food on pallets. Initially, what we had to do is we had to have an area outside the gymnasium. We were using a gymnasium for storage and distribution. So we would bring these pallets in. They would sit down on the outside in what we call the dirty area. Yes. We would have to wipe down the plastic on the outside with uh, alcohol-based solution. Then we would take the plastic off, and then each item on the pallet, not cases, but we would open the cases and the bottles inside. If there was a, a pallet that had 160 boxes and had 12 bottles inside each box, we had to wipe down all 12 in that case and take it and then do another case. Every single item had to be wiped down. Then we would take it from there to what we called the clean area. This is where the items have been wiped down. And then we had a set of people. They were only allowed to work the dirty area. They would take it from there, and then they would walk over to the clean area, but they had to get back into the dirty area. Then we had a group of students who were in the clean area. They would walk out of the gym. They would pick that up. Then they would take it in the gym, and then we would organize it for distribution. Boy, did that take a long time. Yeah. Fortunately, fortunately the powers that be – decided that COVID didn't really last that long on an item. So if it was in shipment for at least five to seven days, we didn't have to wipe everything down. Well, everything coming from the East Coast takes at least five days on a truck to get to us. So we just, okay, we'll wipe it down and put it in there. But we were, the regulations and the stipulations kept changing on us. We had to keep staying up to date on the FDA site. What do we say? What's what's now protocol? What's this? What's yeah. literally every two or three days we were changing how we were having to do this. So our distribution, it, it was an interesting, crazy time on the reservation because everyone was hearing, I mean, at one point in time, you'll remember this, Jody, the Navajo reservation was the hot spot in America, even higher than New York City. Yeah. And um, so, man, there, you know, all this fear is just sweeping across the reservation. Well, when that happened, people wanted to give out of the kindness of their heart. We need to help. We need to give. We need to give. Well, we're over here trying to do what they're telling us to do. And then other people are literally bringing semis out to the chapter houses, which is like City Hall in the city where all the government offices are and putting it on the radio putting it out that hey they're going to be over here handing out food 
Well, people who had trucks, people who had gas in their trucks would drive to the chapter house and get it. We began to realize that there were a lot of elderlies that lived way back away from the canyon, had no vehicle, had no way to get to the chapter house. They weren't getting serviced. Mm -hmm. So what we decided to do is, okay, we're going to give boxes to pastors who know the area, know their people, and say, you take these boxes to those who are in need. Our, our mantra became, we're going to take care of the needy, not the greedy. Mm -hmm. So um, we started distributing out in that fashion. I have a cool story to tell you on that. Not a cool story, a sad story, but true. We had one pastor shared with us that he had gone to this one elderly grandmother's house. Now, we're on this uh, either shelter in place or weekend curfew or stay-at-home orders all these orders that were coming down from the Department of Health on the reservation. So he knew this lady had to be home. He knocks on the door, no answer. He goes outside, walks around the property, trying to see if he could see any activity, couldn't find anything. He comes back and he says, I'm just going to try the door and see. The door was unlocked, so he opened the door. He's calling out the grandma's name, and he found her in her bed. She had passed away. She had been to the hospital, declared COVID positive. She was told to go home, quarantine. Her family would not come see her because they were afraid of getting COVID. And this grandmother died by herself in her home with no one around her. And that's oh. not the only story like that that we heard. Yeah. One pastor was going to a house and he was driving down the road, headed to a different house. And he saw a sign out on the road, and the sign simply said, hey, Mr. President, we need food, too. Now, this is some of the people that couldn't get to the chapter houses where the president was handing out food. So he pulled in, and they were down to, like, their last can of food. And he was able to go in with a nice-sized box of food to help them through the difficult times. And then they begged him, we have an aunt that lives right up the road. Would you please stop at her house? I know they're without food, too. There was a lot of people because you can't, you're locked down in your house. Yeah. The weekends, you can't get off the reservation on weekends. A lot of the elderlies out here don't have vehicles. Their children take them to town, buy groceries first of the month when they get their government checks. And the rest of the time, they're content to stay. But if they can't go anywhere, they're not getting any life support, no sustenance, no groceries. no. If you needed something tonight to fix a meal, you're going to send your son out to Circle K to pick it up and bring it back to you. Right. It don't happen that way up here. There's no Circle K around the corner. So you have to think ahead, plan ahead, have it there. So there's a lot of people literally running. At that distribution, we distributed over 7,000 boxes of food that went out all across the reservation. Wow. Wow. Yeah. You know what, Pastor? I had heard, too, from people, um, you know, from actually a police officer that was in our hospital. And he said that there were a lot of people that were dying from um, from alcohol withdrawal because they couldn't get their alcohol. So he said that a lot of officers would have alcohol in the in the squad car. And, and pass it out because, you know, alcohol, if you don't have it, you know, it can cause you to die. And oh, you got the DTs and everything. Sure. 
Yeah. So did you, did you hear, I mean, what, what was that like, um, as far as like the alcohol and, and also too, a lot of domestic violence because now they're not able to leave the house Mm -hmm. and get their drink on and come back home when they're of, you know, sound mind. Um, a lot of domestic, uh, abuse happened as well. Oh, absolutely. Uh, what you have to realize is we've always had issues with domestic violence. We've always had issues of child abuse, uh, spousal abuse. But the problem is with all these shelter in place, shut down curfews and everything, the government was locking the abuser in the house with the victims. Yep. And they can't go anywhere. They were doing it. As far as the alcohol aspect, when we were doing the distribution, you know, initially get the hand sanitizer, right? Keep your hands clean. Mm -hmm. We got word back to our offices where we were working that they were drinking the hand sanitizer. Yes. For the alcohol content in it. And that was killing them. Well, we immediately just shelved all hand sanitizer. We're not distributing any hand sanitizers out. So we quit taking it in, quit sending it out. So if you've got someone that's addicted to something Mm -hmm. and understand the addiction on the reservation is so bad. I have personal friends that he showed me how he can puncture the top of a hairspray bottle and he can drink the hairspray that's in there to get an alcohol hot. I had other friends that will drink mouthwash because there's enough alcohol in the mouthwash to give them a high. Well, if you lock them in a house and they don't have it, they're going to find it somewhere. And they look on a hand sanitizer, 90% alcohol, boom, they chug. And it it just, it caused more death and destruction. I think the fear of the virus was causing as much fear as the actual virus itself did. Yeah. Because they were just doing ridiculous things, so. Did they ever talk about alternative treatments up there uh, or was that uh, just super taboo? They didn't talk about any of that. You mean that sheep dewormer? <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Sheeps are big up there. So I guess oh, instead of horses, we'll say sheep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There was sheep dewormer. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, uh, it was crazy because I mean, you know, early on there was this speculation. People are talking hey, hydroxychloroquine works, or hey, if you can get a hold of some ivermectin, it works. Well, the hospital then, government-run hospital, starts telling the people, no, that stuff's not good. It hasn't been proven. Don't use it. We won't prescribe it. Don't take it. Yeah. People were dying because they weren't being treated for it with things that have now been proven to be effective for the cure and the treatment. Mm -hmm. I remember one guy... Uh, he had gone into Albuquerque. He was in the hospital. He was elderly, not elderly, shoot, I would say he's probably in his early 60s. He uh, had diabetes, but he had contacted COVID. And his family called me one Sunday afternoon, just paranoid. Can you call dad? He's given up. He's ready to die. I'm like, or can you go see dad? I said, no, I can't go see him. They won't even let me in the hospital. They said, can you at least try to call? I said, well, I can try that. I don't know if it'll work. But I called and went to his room. He didn't answer. So I got back to the nurse's station. They said, we'll go in. We'll answer the phone. We'll put the phone by his ear so he can talk to you. And as I talked to him, his voice just broke my heart. 
I mean, it was he was struggling to talk, and he kept telling me, he says, Pastor, I'm too tired. I can't fight this anymore. It, it's hard. I just want to give up. And I'm sitting there going, no, you can't. You need to keep fighting. Oh, it's too hard, Pastor. You don't know what this feels like. All I could do was pray with him. We got off the phone, and I'm not exaggerating. Within 45 minutes, his daughter called me and said, Dad just passed away. Uh. He was 120 miles away from his family in a hospital with no one around him that knew him. Mm -hmm. And then that happened. It, it took away the humanity. When this happened, when they were buried, we were limited to funerals. You can't have church service. Mm -hmm. So if you can't have church service, you can't have funeral services. So now you're doing everything graveside. The cemetery in Gallup had a limitation of 10 people at the gravesite. Okay, so we have one minister, we have one funeral director, and we have six pallbearers. So that's eight. So you got two family members that can show up. Everybody else has to stay home. I come up to Tuba City. The Tuba City limitation was five people. Yeah, see, people were just making things up. Yeah. 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 This sounds good. Let's throw this out there. Let's limit this. Let's do this. This is this is the new safety standard. So it, it just got crazy. At the church in Pinedale, we had our own cemetery on property. We had set some of our property aside for a community cemetery. I told the people, I said, you come. You, you're driving around in your car. You're okay in your car. Bring your car up there. Stand by your car. Don't get out and visit with other people, but stand by your car. And I don't care how many people show up to Graceside. We're going to have a funeral. That's what we would do. But everyone would stay at their car. Yeah. I mean, we had to get creative on the way we could mourn. And I'm dealing with issues today with young people. I had one just the other day where a young guy committed suicide. Because his grandfather had died during the pandemic, and he could not see the body. Mm -hmm. He couldn't mourn at a funeral or with family gathering or with loved ones and relatives around him. And he couldn't get beyond the trauma of losing his grandfather. So he decided he wanted to go be with his grandfather, so he hung himself in the family shed. Ah. We're still seeing ramifications of that today on the reservation the way it's affecting the people and it's it's hard it hurts because in my heart of hearts i believe we should have done this better yeah we could have done it better and i don't think the powers that be thought about how it was hurting people um right forget well, the virus. you know it, the it doesn't for me how can they not how <laughs> how are they you know, what do they say that the solution couldn't can't be worse than the cure or something, whatever that saying is, right? Like, how could they not? I mean, that was the very first thing for me that I thought of as a nurse. I said, oh my gosh, all of the, the mental health issues that you are going to create off of locking down to healthy with the sick. Yeah, let's talk about that. What is a typical home? It's you. It's multi generational there, right? Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. The homes out here will be. Oh, if we take, for example, you take a three bedroom house that's got maybe 
750 square feet, which is a small home in the city, you're probably going to have nine or 10 people living in that home. You'll probably have the grandparents there. The parents will be there and their children. And sometimes if they've got a promiscuous daughter, there may even be a fourth generation living in that home. In 750 square feet. Yeah. Wow. And that's pretty typical. Yeah. Yeah. I can show you more than one out here. That's like that. very much so. And in as far as running water, do a lot of them have running water? No. No. One third of the reservation probably estimates say one third of the reservation today, 21st century, one third of the reservation does not have running water. One third of the reservation does not have electricity in their homes. Mm -hmm. And it's so interesting because the federal government signed a treaty with the Navajo Nation in 1868 saying we're going to provide food, housing and education and medical. Well, you work at IHS, so how do you think the medical story? Yeah. I can take you out here to houses that have holes in the walls, that leak when it rains, that don't have electricity, don't have running water. The school system, they initially, they're changing today, they're better, but initially they wouldn't let them speak their language. You have to cut your hair if you're going to go to school. In other words, we're going to civilize these people. No wonder they don't trust the government, but yet they during don't. COVID, they fully trusted the government. Mm. And it just boggled my mind that they were so willing to roll over to whatever the government said, not even challenge it, not even question, it, just do it. Just do it. And and for me, I, I think, like, how is this population, right? How is this uh, population of people so willing to trust every single thing that the, that the government said? And I think that's right. Uh, you know, it's propaganda. When mm -hmm. you push fear into the hearts and minds of people and you're doing it 24 seven and they're seeing all of these BS COVID positive tests, right? They were seeing that. It's like, oh, oh my God, you're sick. You can't be here. You got to go. I can't be around you for two weeks, um, 10 days or whatever. Like you said, everything right. just kept changing and right. changing. Um, that is how I knew for certain, like propaganda messaging works like a charm. Can I tell you how well it's working? Yes. We're sitting here in January of 2024. I have people coming into my church service on Sunday morning still wearing a mask. Yeah. The reservation Let's... was under a mask mandate for over a thousand days. Oh but this God. new president finally lifted it about a year ago. But I still, I had a funeral this week or yesterday, and there were people there wearing a mask. Wearing they a mask. still believe that that face diaper is going to be protecting Right. And science and everything says that the virus is smaller than the holes in the mask. It's going to go right on through it. But yet government told them, wear one. If one don't work, wear two. Mm -hmm. And yeah. they're still wearing the masks today because they bought into the hysteria. 
Well, and I think as well, you know, it's like if you're pushing out fear to people 24 seven and they're hearing it and they're and then they're having, you know, the natives lost more than seven years off of their lifespan. So their children are not going to live longer than them by seven years. Like that's essentially what that means. And if you are pumping in all this fear, then you have to give them something to do. And something to do was to sit and sew masks and to maybe sell them. Um, But, you know, we have to take a break here. Uh, I want to direct you guys to our sponsor, ASEA. It's ASEA Redox Signaling Molecule. You guys hear me talk about it and hear me share my personal stories with it. Uh, I just had an experience with uh, ASEA. Now it's in my emergency medical kit that I travel with. And when I was out in St. Thomas uh, a month ago, we got eaten up by sand flies. And it was just the most horrific experience. And again, I pull out my redox gel and put it on and it tamed it and the inflammation went down. I mean, within hours. So uh, check out ASEA on americaoutloud.shop for our exclusive discount for America Out Loud Talk Radio listeners. And we will be right back with Pastor Nathan from Tuba City Assembly of God on the Navajo Nation. It's time in this Asiya believes that inside each of us is the potential to feel our very best. Our redox-based products tap into reserves within you to power your personal well-being. Make our breakthrough products an essential step in fulfilling your greatest potential. ASEA, we power potential. For exclusive savings, use code OUTLOUD to save 15% off your first order today. You wouldn't go a day without brushing your teeth or washing your hands. What about washing your nose? I mean, your nose does filter the air you breathe, air loaded with bacteria, viruses, and irritants. Make nasal hygiene part of your routine with Clear. No messy bottles to fill, no drowning sensation. Clear is a natural drug-free saline with the added benefit of xylitol, which blocks bacterial and viral adhesion. Available in stores and online at clear.com. That is X-L-E-A-R.com. Millions of Americans are needlessly suffering from the long-haul effects of the toxic spike protein. Dr. Peter McCullough and his team at The Wellness Company designed their spike support formula to counteract harmful spike protein from COVID-19 and vaccines so you can feel your best. Go to OutLoudCare.com today and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. Well, the year 2024 is upon us, and it is our chance to get it right and take back a free America. AmericaOutloud.news is your source for uncensored and factual news that facilitates truth and unity among all Americans to restore that American dream we have always cherished. Now is our time, my fellow Americans. America Out Loud Talk Radio. Liberty and justice for all. Welcome back. 
Thank you for joining me on Nurses Out Loud. I am your host, Nurse Jody O'Malley, and I want to pick up the conversation with Pastor Nathan. Um, so, yeah, let, let's talk about this with with the mask and stuff. They're, they're still, I heard that the hospital is imposing them again. Yeah, Tuba City Hospital up here, uh, there is a there's a mask mandate now. Uh, today, you can't get into the hospital unless you're wearing a mask. We had a young lady in our church that doesn't believe in the mask. Uh, she was expecting early stages, like three or four weeks pregnant. She goes to see her doctor and walks into the hospital. They didn't say anything. She fills out the paperwork, and they're sitting there saying, oh, we have a policy. You need to put a mask on. She very calmly just spoke to him and said, I don't want to wear a mask. I'm pregnant. I don't want to limit my oxygen intake for fear it might affect the baby. So I really don't want to put it on. Well, we can't see you if you don't put a mask on. So she's like, so you're refusing care. Oh, no, 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 no. We're not refusing care. You're refusing to put a mask on. Hmm. Long story short, she left, left the hospital got her prenatal care done somewhere else where they didn't require the mask and she just gave birth to a healthy baby boy a couple of days ago. But today, my wife, when she goes to IHA or the Indian Hospital here in Tupac City, she has to put a mask on. And me as a pastor or a chaplain, if I go to visit someone, I put a mask on. They were, and I haven't checked into this. I don't know if it's the case or not. But during the pandemic, I couldn't go visit anyone if I didn't take that, um, you know, that uh, PC uh, shut, shut the arm, you know. And I said, no, I'm not going to do that. Well, if I wouldn't do that, I couldn't even get into the hospital to visit anyone. This is how crazy those were. Wait, they would not allow. And see, that was another issue I had. I said it is in the patient's bill of rights to be um, to be provided spiritual care if they want it. And we were not allowing any of the pastors to come in. And right. so they're not only now when they're opening it up and saying you can't come in, they're still not allowing you to come in if you are you don't show your card. That's what I was told. I haven't pushed the issue. I haven't gone back there. But I was told initially that I would not be allowed in the hospital if I was unvaccinated. And I'm not vaccinated. I'm not going to get vaccinated. But that, you know, here or there. But they were also, I had several people coming to me asking me if I would write them a religious exemption. Mm -hmm. okay, anyone who's smart enough to know what a religious exemption is, it does not matter your denomination. Right. The religious exemption is your personal held beliefs. Mm -hmm. If you personally believe that that flower behind you is your God, then that is your religious right. I'll right. disagree with it, but it is your right. So the people saying, my personal hell belief is I don't trust this vaccine. Oh, we're not accepting religious exemptions. They did not accept religious exemptions in the IHS up here. And I think there were about 100 employees that were let go from Tuba City Hospital because they refused to get the shot. Now, i got a question for you. You're running a business. Let's say you have a thousand employees. Do you have a hundred employees on your payroll that you don't need? You're just paying them just because we need to fill the spots. No. I was told by one of the hospital execs, 
Well, we looked at it and we decided that we could probably run without those people. Well, what the heck you got them hired for? Why are you even paying them if you don't need them? Let them go. But they were content to let them walk. Said we can do without it. And they did. And and, and, and they have created, we had a shortage. Let's just take the healthcare, for example. We had a shortage of nurses before 2020. Now they have created a crisis of nurses, uh, a nursing shortage. Now, now we're at crisis level. Now you're at the level of where nurses are like, I, we can't take on this patient load. You're having nurses having to stay 16 hours, 18 hours because there's nobody to come and relieve them. We can't just swipe a, you know, our time clock and say we're leaving without giving report to somebody qualified. You know, I, it's just maddening what has been done. And here, Pastor, you know, maybe you can help me out here. I remember in, gosh, I think it was early 2021 or maybe even late 2020, where I saw from Admiral Wyecki, um, I always say his name wrong. Um, but anyway, he was an admiral that we would get all of our um, communication from. You know, it would be sent from, you know, Washington and with IHS received a billion dollars just in 2020 alone. Can you, did you see any, like, where did that money go? What did they do? Somebody's pocket, not mine. Yeah. I mean, you know, we were hearing things. You would probably know this better than I do, but we were hearing things that hospitals were paid several thousand dollars if they reported a positive COVID test. Mm -hmm. Well, I kept telling the people, look, if you want this COVID to go away, quit getting tested yeah. and just stop because they want you to come. I mean, they were setting up almost like a drive-through clinic. Mm -hmm. Come and let us test you. Not because they cared about your health. It's because they needed another positive test because they'd get, I think it's like $15,000 for every positive test they got. And then, you know, on the inside, it got crazy because once we got you in here and you're tested positive, okay, so now we get paid extra if we can give you remdesivir. We can get extra money if we can stick a tube down your throat. They were not looking for the care of the people. They were looking at how they could make money off of this cash cow that the government had created. Yeah. And that's not the country I want to say is home. That's yeah. I mean, we've lost so many of our rights and I don't know, I think we've lost our sanity to to actually soak all that stuff up and believe it. I mean, and I talk to the natives and, and when I talk to them, I say, hey, you know, you guys jumped in line so much to believe the government. Do you not remember the measles blankets that were given to the tribes? You can't trust the government all the time. They don't always have your best interest at heart. You need to use your head, use your mind, use what God gave you to think with. But boy, did I find out they jumped in hook, line, and sinker on whatever the government said. Do you it's think, terrible. like now, do you do they still trust the government? Honestly, there are a few, but there's some that are, it's hard for them not to trust the government because their entire livelihood comes from the government. And there's some that are beginning to question. There are some that challenge it. There are some, I know some that went down and got the first shot 
They might have even went back and got the second shot. But after that, they're like, wait a minute. Why am I getting so many shots? I thought this was supposed to keep me from getting it. Why is this happening? Now, there are some. They're fully vaxxed, fully boosted. Yeah. And if they came out with one tomorrow, they'd be the first in line to get that one, too. What's a percentage, you think, from from just you? Like, how many people? Let, let's first go. How many people took the the two shots? Uh, I would say inside my church, which runs a little over 100, I would say probably about 70%. 70%. How many do you think got boosted? That drop down, you're probably dropping to around 40% still doing it. And now I don't know of any right now that are willingly going back. Matter of fact, some of my police officers, some of my hospital people that come to church here, they're dreading the fact that if the hospital may mandate another shot or another boost, because they took it the first time, they didn't want to lose their job. And they didn't take it because they trusted the shot, because they trusted the science, they didn't want to lose their job. And now they're hoping that they don't tie that to their job again. They want to say no, but if the government ties it to employment, they're going to take it because they have to have income. Yeah. And that's sad. That's sad. It but is. We, don't have, we don't have an option. If you lose your job, we have a 50% unemployment rate on the reservation. What? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Look at it. it it's, it's, it's crazy. It's crazy high. Or I should say non-employed rate. Uh -huh. Not unemployed, but non-employed. So if you look at that, I mean, that's, that's not normal anywhere else. No. So if you lose a job, there's not another one out there waiting for you to go to. So right. a lot of these people, they couldn't say, well, okay, you're going to require it. I'm going to quit and I'm going to go work over here. There was no work over there. So if you paid your bills and you took the shot and it made it very difficult. Now, a lot of those hundred doctors or hundred employees at the hospital that didn't take it, a lot of them went to Phoenix and went to work in Phoenix at hospitals that weren't requiring the shots. And you know, some of the doctors, who knows where they went, but you threaten their livelihood and they've got no backup. They've got nothing they can fall back on. Mm -hmm. It's either take the shot or, or go hungry. Yeah. Like you said, I mean, the, there it's not like there's a circle K or something on every corner there, you know, and especially if they have a government job, that is like a prized job. Right. And with all benefits and a possibility of retirement, you know, all of that. Did you see um, a lot and I'll be careful to word this after the injection. Did you notice changes in people's medical condition? <laughs> I'll be careful in how I answer them. Um, did I see it? Yes. Do I have documentation that that was the case? No. Um, but I, uh, it got to the point where I'm now checking with people. Okay, last week I had a funeral on Friday. I denied two other families a funeral on Friday because so much death. Uh, I've got one family member here in the church. He's had three family members in the last two weeks to die. So we're seeing a high death rate here. Yeah. Um, the suicide rates are through the roof. They're like three times what they were pre-COVID. Um, I had one family came in 
And I had to do the funeral for an elderly grandfather in the family. And I just asked them, I said, uh, they were talking about how he died. They don't know why. Just He just all of a sudden died. I don't know, heard that term somewhere, died suddenly. Suddenly. Mm-hmm. And he, they, I just asked him, I said, um, now he was fully vaccinated, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He had all his shots and all of his boosters. So we don't know what happened. He was sitting in the living room one day and got up to go into the kitchen and just fell out on the floor. Does it take Einstein to figure out what that was? Right. But nobody will let him research. Nobody will let him do an autopsy to find out what it was. But yes, I'm hearing stories of people that aren't doing it. This is the one that scares me the most. And you're, you're the medical professional here. But I am hearing of people who in the past had cancer. It was in remission or it had been cured. But now they're rediscovering it. And I know of at least two people that when they rediscovered it, it's stage four. Yeah. Turbo cancers is the is the term. And I believe even mainstream media is using that term. Turbo yeah, cancer. What's what's the cause for that? Well, right. it's just that time of year. No, there, there's something that's causing this and we're not allowed to look at it. We're not allowed to get answers to our questions. And that's the part that bothers me. Yeah. Uh, is it still kind of taboo? You know, I know when I was out there speaking, you know, there, there was a lot of people that weren't ready to hear what I had to say. Um, is it still like that? Uh, do people, I mean, I remember I was in the radio station there and I don't think they ever even aired my show, um, sadly. But um, if mm. they did, I didn't get notification that they did. But I remember there was a young man in his 20s there that, um, really wanted to come after me. You know, he, he asked like, so who are you right before? And I said, I'm a nurse that worked at Phoenix Indian medical center. And I was noticing a lot of safety signals and injuries that were happening. And I'm here to tell you guys like, you know, blow the whistle on it. And that term whistleblower is a very taboo, uh, term on the, for the natives. They do not like that term which is very shocking to me considering how the government, you know, <laughs> has never had their best interest in mind. And, and even just looking, looking at it, how is there a third of people not having running water or electricity when they're, when they are giving billions of dollars to IHS every year, you know, and I even talked to people and I said, listen, guys, you know, this isn't conspiracy or anything. I said, this is just, critically thinking. Name the two populations in America that the government gives the most money to. Native Americans and senior citizens. Who are the most affected populations from COVID? Native Americans and senior citizens. You know? And still people, you know, look at me like I have four heads. But I literally thought this guy, I mean, this, this young man, really came after me. And my son, you know, Benjamin, who was 13 years old, but he looks like he's 18. Yeah, he stepped up and, you know, (laughs) Benjamin's like, you might want to have, she took care of your people. You might want to hear what she had to say. And I was like, okay, Benjamin, don't, I don't need you to, to like get in a fight here. But I literally thought I had to watch my tires when I got in the car, you know? It's uh, it's unbelievable how you're going to find the gamut on where people feel 
on this issue. There are people that I've come in contact with that do not trust the shot, do not trust Fauci, do not trust the government, did not get anything and are taking care of it on their own. There's those. There are the others fully vaxxed, fully boosted, waiting for the, the hospital to tell them, here's another shot so they can go get that one. And then there's those in the middle that took a couple of shots and now they're beginning to question. One thing I find interesting, I haven't really documented this to say, but just by eyesight, we're still getting cases in the church where people will go to the hospital and they will test positive for COVID. Mm -hmm. The majority of those in the church that are testing positive are at least one shot vaccinated. Yeah. Those that never got any shots, few amount, maybe one, maybe two are catching COVID. But the ones who took the shots, they're the ones that are still getting COVID today. What and, is the protocol of people coming into the to the church? Like if they did test positive, if they have no symptoms, are they allowed to attend church service? Heck yeah. yeah. I'm going to let them in. I'm letting them. I'm not buying into this nonsense. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think the Bible says by his stripes, we are healed. Amen. So why are we not letting people come into church where we can pray for their healing because they're sick. Oh, no, 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 no. You're sick. Stay home till you get well and then come to the church and we'll pray. Come on. That's not godly. That's not the way God would order, expect us to work. Jesus went to where the sick people were. During the pandemic, I got a phone call one day. I was working and a lady called me, said her son had been involved in a car wreck. He had passed away. Could I do the funeral for her? I said, sure. On my way home, I had to drive by her house. I said, I'll stop by. We'll start making preparations. I get to the house. She opens the door. She's wearing a mask. I give her a hug. I'm sorry to hear about the loss of your son. And thanks, Pastor. We go and we sit down. And I looked in the house. Everybody sitting inside the house was wearing a mask. Mm -hmm. And I looked at him. I said, hey, guys, you're inside your house. You don't have to have a mask on. They pointed to the lady I had just hugged and expressed my condolences to, and they said, she's COVID positive. Mm -hmm. I looked at her, and I said, really? She goes, yeah. I said, okay, so how are we going to do the funeral? Okay, you're positive. So what? Let's get on with life. Yeah. Take your vitamins. Wash your hands. Take care of yourself. You'll be okay. Right. Now, we have no restrictions. I don't, I don't tell them to stay home. The hospital is still telling them. If you catch COVID and you work at the hospital, you have to stay home for three or four days now before you can even go back to work. They won't let you come to work if you tested positive for COVID. Oh my God, it's maddening. It's so maddening. Uh, you know, uh, how, wh what would you think? I'm going to read you something. So Fauci uh, testified in a closed hearing. Uh, this is a press release uh, from the Committee on Oversight and Accountability uh, published on January 10th. Uh, some key takeaways. Fauci claimed that the six feet apart social distancing recommend recommendation promoted by federal health officials was likely not based on any uh, on any data. He said it just sort of appeared. How many circles and, and in one way uh, signs and stuff did you have there? Oh, they're still on the floors. Yeah. They're still on the floor. You can go to the bank. They're still on the floor at the bank. You can go to Bashes. They're still on the floor. The post office. They're still on. The, no one's abiding by them. Right. But they're still there. I mean, you still got. I was at a business the other day and I told the guys that walked in with, I said, I want to rip this sign down. But on the door, 
it said, please wear your mask and please stay six feet apart. Right. Like, come on, people, get those stupid signs down. Let's get back to life. We yep. were told, we were told, I remember this one, President Navajo Nation at the time, we were, somebody said something at a pastor's conference, said something about, man, I can't wait till we get back to normal. These were the words of the president of the Navajo Nation. Guys, this will be our new norm. Wow. And I immediately said, oh, no. That's not my norm. I'm not accepting this. I will not live in that fear. And when I got to this church, they were beginning to open up services. I said, no, we're going full bore. We're opening the doors. If we can't trust God to heal us, why are we even calling ourselves Christians? Let's get in here. Let's do what we've got to do. We're going to have church. We have a job. We've got people who are hurting. We've got people who need the gospel. We've got people who are sick. That's what the church is for. We're going to be there. We're going to do what God's called us to do. And, you know, that's why even during the COVID and while we were doing that food distribution, it got to the point, Jody, there was so much food being sent to the reservation. It was literally being thrown on the ground. Too much food. They couldn't eat it all. They were feeding it to their animals. They were throwing it on the side of the roads. It was just overkill. But I began to sense we're going to have a problem with this. This is going to last longer then this sickness lasts. And how are we going to deal with the people? What are, as a church, what are we going to be able to show them? So I started looking around and I found a United Nations sanctioned deal called Critical Incident Stress Management, where you're dealing with people who have gone through critical incidents and stress in their lives. And used a lot during, to first responders and people who've experienced trauma like that. I said, the reservation for two and a half years has experienced trauma. They've been given stress beyond belief. So we started doing training to pastors on the reservation on how to deal with the emotional and the psychological aspect of stress and trauma. And we held five different trainings during the pandemic, uh, one in uh, Pinedale, New Mexico, one in Farmington, one in Flagstaff, one in Tuba City. And even one in Chinle. And we trained over 50 pastors during that time frame on how to deal with people in your congregation or in your community that are dealing with stress and trauma. And I've got an appointment with a former police officer Saturday to help him deal with some of the issues that he's still struggling with over that. So whenever COVID ends, whenever it ends, if it ever ends, we're still going to be dealing yeah. with the mental anguish that it's caused the people, the stress and the trauma. And as churches, we need to have something to offer. We need to be able to help them cope with what they experienced. And that's why we're doing that critical incident stress training. It's just. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to you for that because, you know, we're, we're almost out of time here, but I, I do want to say that people don't understand that when, you know, a native dies, that they have different ceremony that they do, you know, and, you know, you want to talk on that for, you know, maybe a minute and let people know like that this was a big issue, pastor, right? They couldn't mourn the way that they normally would have. Normally the way they will do, at least on the Navajo reservation, when they have a death in the family, 
they will have the family come together the first night and they'll talk about it. They'll raise money for the funeral. The second night, they open it up to the community. Community comes in and they talk about the individual and they're, again, trying to collect the money for it. They're with each other. Then they will have the funeral service at a church. And then they go to the cemetery. At the cemetery on the reservation, we lower and we cover ourselves. It's not like you go there, have a five-minute message, walk away. The cemetery lowers them. We actually have the straps. We lower the casket into the ground. We cover the casket up. And then they go back to some meeting room. At our place, they use our fellowship hall. And they sit around for a couple of hours just talking with one another to bond with each other and to comfort one another. Now, remember I said during COVID, five people were allowed at the Tuba City Cemetery. The family couldn't get together to mourn. Brother couldn't talk to sister, unless it was on the phone, about the loss of dad. So they weren't properly allowed to mourn. And any psychiatrist, anyone will tell you, if you don't have the proper outlet for those emotions, Weeks, months, years down the road, when they come back, they're not going to come back simple. They're going to be dirty. They're going to be hard to deal with. That's what we're seeing today. That's why I was talked to you a while ago about the young man who committed suicide. Because he never saw his grandfather's body. He was told he died, knew he died. They buried him, but he never saw it to get closure. Mm -hmm. And now we're dealing with this today. So the way they handled the funerals and the stay-at-homes and lockdowns, it was beyond human. It just was not humane. It wasn't. And and, um, just to see if you can answer this real quickly, uh, how many, uh, per person, how many people do you think that were related to them or close friends died? Like how many on each, am I making sense? Like, you know, each person, how many deaths do you think a person experienced? Oh, yeah. They each individual probably experienced within their family, probably two or three. I mean, I'll share this number with you. There's 300 churches on the Navajo reservation. They lost over 30 pastors. Oh, my God. One tenth of the sheep on the reservation don't have a shepherd. And we're scrambling now to fill those pulpits. That's Uh, huge. Wow. It's crazy. Well, God bless you, Pastor. You know, everybody listening, please keep please keep him and his congregation and all of the Native Americans in your prayers. Like I said, they have suffered more loss and, and trauma than we could possibly even imagine. And I just pray to God that he is using um, me and my case and um, to really uh, get the word out. Um, so thank you guys. Keep us in your prayers. Until next time, be safe, be well, and God bless. It's time